Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. We work with internet startups as well as enterprises, which could be listed on the stock exchange. So there is a great mix uh, of small and large companies, and we help them collect and disburse money. So that has been our core business over the last six years or so, and uh, we process upwards of uh, 20 billion uh, US dollars on an annual basis. And we have been growing uh, somewhere around 100% uh, annually, I think, over the last few years. That was Riju Data, the co-founder of Cash Free, and he is our special guest on this episode, episode 141 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. And hey, before we get started, a quick reminder that March is Diversity and Inclusion Month. So if you're interested in sponsoring or being a guest on the show, please reach out to me at greg at leadersinpayments.com. So back to this episode, for those of you who may not know, Cash Free is an online platform that helps companies accept payments via more than 100 different payment methods with one single integration. And 100 different digital options is pretty significant, especially in comparison to our local ecosystem that dominates mainly by credit, debit, and ACH. According to Riju, Cash Free was created to solve one major problem, how to facilitate cash payments at the time of delivery for e-commerce merchants. And in just a short amount of time, the company has managed to facilitate 3 to 4% of all bank transfers in the country and 10% of all bank cards. As for their competitive advantage, they offer a more diverse approach to payments that looks beyond payment collection to more complex forms of commerce, including bidirectional and multidirectional payment capabilities, with a disbursement step that's easy to integrate and automate. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Riju. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Good to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. If you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. We'll dive deeper into your professional career a little bit later, but maybe a a few high-level things about yourself. Got it. Yeah, so I grew up in New Delhi in India. I went to college, uh, engineering school. Uh, It's an Indian Institute of Technology and studied engineering. And post that, yeah, we've been working in internet companies for like one or two years before we decided to take the plunge and uh, build a payments company, right? And it just happened along the way. Not much of payment experience, uh, I would say. But yeah, we've learned things, uh, figured things along the way. Okay. Well, let's talk about that payments company. Let's talk about Cash Free. So maybe if you don't mind, set the stage a little bit about the marketplace in India and then dive into the company and, and tell us a little bit about what they do. Yep. So I think India as a payments uh, market is uh, probably a bit different from outside because when we started off, cash was very, very prevalent uh, in India, right? I think card penetration was uh, relatively much lower as compared to other geographies. And that was one of the problems that we wanted to solve uh, when we started Cash Free. And another thing that is probably a bit unique uh, to India is that the number of payment methods is kind of very, very immense, right? We have close to 100 digital payment methods that people might uh, opt for uh, to pay online. Whereas in a geography such as the United States, it would probably be a lesser number. I think a large fraction of the payments could happen 
via credit card, debit card, or maybe ACH. So yeah, I think so. Those are the uh, maybe a couple of key differences that was there. Uh, people really had a predisposition towards paying by cash, and that has changed over the last five, six years or so. And today, I think India is one of the, in terms of digital payments, India definitely is a global leader. And I think we have a payment method called UPI to thank for that, and we can discuss that as we go along. So that's how I think the market is different. And it's a huge market, of course, right? I mean, we have a lot of people. I think it's the second most populous country, right? So, so yeah, that's the sense. Okay. And if you don't mind, tell us about Cash Free. Cash Free is an online payment processor. We help uh, businesses uh, operating in India accept payments uh, through more than 100 payment methods with a single integration. And we also help uh, these businesses disburse money out into bank accounts or other payment addresses, you know, like uh, payment wallets and UPI addresses, which are again connected to the bank accounts. So businesses that are coming on board, let's say they want to run a store online or they want to process refunds, pay their vendors, you know, pay rewards for if they're a gaming company, you know, so those kind of use cases uh, typically, and we work with both internet startups as well as enterprises, which could be listed up. Uh, you know, on, on the stock exchange. So there is a great mix uh, of small and large companies and we help them collect and disburse money. So that has been our core business over the last six years or so. And uh, we process upwards of uh, 20 billion uh, US dollars on an annual basis. And we have been growing uh, somewhere around 100% uh, annually, I think over the last few years, the pandemic notwithstanding. So that's a rough sense. All right. As of today, while we're doing a lot of things in payments, I think there is a sense of diversifying into a more forms of payments that are not online. So that could be point of sale terminal payments uh, where we are seeing uh, abundance of or contactless payments that are coming online. We're seeing QR code based transactions that are becoming very popular. Uh, we're also looking at cross-border payments. Right? So these are some of the new initiatives that we have been tinkering with beyond the core business of collection and disbursement of money. Right? Banking as a service is again an interesting offshoot of uh, payments that, that we have seen. So while the core business remains collection of payments, disbursement of payments, there's a lot of interesting things that is happening in the industry and it's a very rapidly changing industry as we all know. And you mentioned e-commerce, so most of your business today is online, but are there specific verticals within that online area or is it basically anyone that's selling products or services online is a potential customer? Yeah, I think in terms of the number of customers, I think majority would be e-commerce customers who would be running a store online. But having said that, if you look at the volume of payments that are being processed, I think because of the high ticket size, I think you have uh, travel. I think that that tends to be a major use case always, travel and hospitality. We have uh, education businesses, which could be educational institutes trying to accept fees uh, for the courses that they provide. Could be schools, could be colleges, uh, universities. We have government institutions that use us for various government-related payments. Could be uh, chalans, uh, could be tax payments. Right. We have B2B transactions also that happen. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a wide mix. Uh, financial services is pretty big. You have loan disbursements, loan repayments, uh, insurance premiums. So financial services and uh, uh, e-commerce, I would say, are some of the larger segments in terms of the number of merchants. In terms of volume of payments processed, it would probably be travel and the financial services again. Right. So that's a proper sense of, I think, what we're doing. Okay. And how big is the company? Maybe in, in number of employees, if you can tell us that. So I think we're around 490 employees as of today. 
And I think uh, we've grown quite a lot over the pandemic. We were probably around 120, 130 people about one and a half years back or maybe two years back now. So yeah, that's how we're placed. And I know at least here in the U.S. during the pandemic, we saw a lot of businesses move to selling online, right? It was a necessity. They had to do it. They had to figure out how to do it. Was there sort of that same sense there in India that companies who maybe traditionally sold more face-to-face had to go online? So assuming that's the case, I would imagine that that was quite a help for your business to really keep it growing just because of the market dynamics during the COVID over the last two years? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that is a trend we saw as well when the pandemic struck the first quarter, which was uh, April, May, June. I think we saw a spike in the number of merchant onboardings, right? And I think those went up 50% month on month. And I think a lot of the small businesses suddenly had to operate online. And and, uh, we saw preference for uh, low-code and no-code solutions, things like payment links, payment forms, because this was a pretty overnight change. So that's where we also focus some of our uh, efforts in terms of product priorities. We also saw a lot of these enablers of e-commerce or enablers of online business coming up, right? So we had platforms that help you get your shop online in minutes. So those kind of platforms also saw a lot of growth and they in turn were using us as a payment processor, right? So through that channel also, we saw a lot of growth, so both direct as well as partnered approach. And I think also dialing back to my point about educational institutes, right? We saw that trend in educational institutes also because almost every institute had to collect fees online. Whereas before that, maybe they were a bit indifferent. I mean, it was not mandatory, right? So education is maybe one sector where we saw a lot of need for collecting payments online because of the pandemic, because everything just went remote very suddenly. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like the same the same sort of thing that happened here is a lot of businesses very quickly had to figure out how to sell online. Well, what would you say differentiates your company from your competitors out there? I think, uh, so what we brought into the industry was a modular approach to payments, which uh, looked at not just basic payment collections, but more complex uh, payments, right? So for example, if you are a marketplace that needs to settle money to its vendors, What if you are a platform that has a lot of gig economy workers doing delivery services or let's say Uber rides, just for example, right? So there you need to probably pay out your partners on a very regular basis, typically daily, even hourly, right? In some cases. So I think we had built ourselves to cater to these kinds of complex use cases where you could be a platform or you could be a fintech company, which would have to Uh, do bi-directional or multi-directional payments with certain business rules that are applied. So as I said, right, so both collections and disbursals is what we are pretty good at. And then we are pretty flexible at handling these kind of complex use cases and at scale. So that I would say is a differentiator. So as of today, I think we process around uh, 3 to 4% of all of the uh, bank transfers that happen in the country. And, uh, you know, we have, we've probably sent or received money to more than 10% of all the bank accounts in the country as well. So basically that's, I would say, is the differentiator, right? The complex payment flows that the new emerging business models do come up with. Okay. And what percentage of your business is more the payment processing side versus the disbursement side? So I think it's an equal split, both in terms of volume and revenue. But for dis- as far as disbursements are concerned, we are uh, the largest in the country with more than 50% market share. And overall, also, I think we are among the leading payment processors in the country. So I think we, since we have, we were the first ones that came up with the disbursements, I think we have we were able to get uh, some foothold and get the right kind of customers uh, in that space. Yeah. 
Okay. And how do you go to market? Do you have like a direct sales force or do you have a partnership or channels or do you go to market with both? We go to market with both. I think there are three channels actually. One where we have a direct sales force doing direct outreach. We have an inbound channel where customers find us or you know hear about us and then they sign up. And then we have a partnered approach where we have partners that help us onboard uh, merchants or customers at scale. So these are the three approaches we follow. And I think all three are significant and have been growing and contributing revenues. And you mentioned the sort of banking, and I want to kind of just dive into that for a second. So do you provide infrastructure for banks to process or or are banks more like a partner that refer business to you? What is your relationship in the banking world? Yeah, so I think we work very closely with banks and there are multiple touch points and ways in which we collaborate. I mean, I can highlight them one by one. So Banks do provide us uh, referrals and they have access to a lot of the payment problems. So in fact, the most interesting and complex payment problems first come to the banks and then they come to us. So having a strong bank referral channel is pretty important. That is one. Then we have white label integrations with banks, wherein if banks want to provide a payment processor of their own, sometimes they want to prefer that. So there we have uh, some kind of uh, white labeled uh, partnership that is tighter than just a referral program that is running with banks. There, we, we still have not gone into a core payment processing with the banks. And that is something that we're thinking about to become more vertically integrated. So that is something that is probably, you know, we're thinking about and working towards. And the last part is, I think, uh, probably banking as a service, which I had touched upon, where we are essentially acting as a distributor of banking services. And there we are kind of looking at uh, banking services like account opening, account operations, accessing the statement, open banking, you know, functions like balance statements and so on, right? And these we are here, we're collaborating with banks on one end and fintechs or internet companies wanting to be fintechs at the other end. Essentially, we are helping the bank acquire more customers, uh, you know, much faster. We're a distributor of banking services in the latter case, which is banking as a service. Right? So these are a few engagements that, you know, happen with banks. And of course, when we are processing payments, we have a sponsor bank, uh, which is an acquirer for us. And there also we are very closely tied up and uh, helping you know, the bank uh, make revenue on the acquiring side as well. And where do you see the payments industry heading, say, in the next two to three years? What do you feel like it starts to look like? What are the trends? What are the things that we need to be watching out for? Got it. I think uh, real-time payments from a global perspective, I think real-time payments is something I mean, having watched uh, the success or the tremendous growth of that in India is something that we should all look out for. I think we had UPI in India and that uh, I think is clocking around $1 trillion of uh, volume today, I think from zero up to I think four years back. So and doing more transactions than credit cards and debit cards combined, you know, within a period of uh, four years. Right. So mobile first real time payments is, is something that we can expect uh, coming up across the world globally. Apart from that, I think uh, within India, I would probably say we're looking at contactless payments that is coming up. Right. I think outside of India, we have seen tap and pay uh, quite a lot. But in India, I think it, it's still coming up and new. Right. So ideally, not just uh, card tap and pay. I think uh, cards saved within the phone and then the phone being used to tap and pay is something that we can look forward to on post terminals. So those are the few things I think open banking, I think, as I mentioned, so taking banking outside the box of a bank where you can have third party platforms or third party fintechs offering access to banking services is again something that we are seeing outside of India and in India as well. 
So I think those are probably a, a few trends. I think definitely, I think since there is a lot of talk of cryptocurrencies, I think cross-border money transfer, I think there are a few interesting projects that uh, we have seen and uh, in general are uh, happening across the globe, right? How can you make uh, cross-border transfers faster and can you, how can you make them cheaper? For India in particular, how can you ensure that the regulatory compliance is also maintained while we are doing cross-border uh, transactions? Uh, so those are a few thoughts there. Okay. And I never can leave the future discussion without asking about cryptocurrency. So any views? I mean, I know here in the States, it's seen as obviously more of an investment or an asset that you buy and hold and sell. But there are also companies who are starting to use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a method of payment. So curious, your thoughts on where crypto is in India, kind of your view. Do you think that in, you know, five years or so, people will be buying and selling things using crypto as a method of payment? I think in India, it is probably some way away. I would say immediately we don't see uh, crypto being used as an instrument uh, to exchange value, I think, as of now. I think that's the stance. Uh, whether it can be used as an asset is, is something the government is still to come out uh, up uh, with the clear guidelines. So let's wait and watch there how, how things go about. So it's not very clear, uh, you know, what the stance is internally. But I think uh, as a legal tender for exchange of value and to purchase goods and services, that might be some way away for India as far as India is concerned. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So tell us about your journey to your role there. When you graduated from college, what were sort of your your career journey and how you got there? And then talk a little bit about your role there at the company. After university, I think... Uh, Kind of the trodden path that most university graduates uh, follow in India. I took up a job at a, a consulting company in Delhi. After that, I wanted to kind of dabble. There was some interest and in startups because that was the time when new things, new ventures was just starting to come up. Right Today, it's kind of there are thousands of startups. And that time, it was, I think, just starting to come up. And, you know, we tried a few things, right? And then one of the ventures did not work out. It was in the real estate space. And uh, by that time, I had joined uh, an internet startup and I was doing digital marketing there. And that's when I met my co-founder through a common friend. And we, we discussed payments and it seemed like a large market. We initially wanted to solve uh, cash payments at the time of delivery for e-commerce, right? That was the problem that we wanted to solve initially. Hence, we're called cash-free payments, right? So, and that's how we took the plunge. It seemed like a large market and it seemed like a problem that we'd faced personally. And then since none of the existing payment providers were solving it, uh, so we went for it. Along the way, we figured out uh, it might be a bit hard to scale. And then our customers at that point of time, you know, which were restaurants, uh, which operated at night, they were looking at website uh, payment processing. That's how we built a website-based uh, payment checkout flow. And that took off. And along the way, we figured out there was this demand that everyone was doing collection of payments. But there were new business models that were coming up at that point of time, which let's say needed to pay wages, which needed to pay rewards and gaming Right, So which needed a bi-directional flow of payments, which needed a disbursement uh, stack and disbursements that were easy to integrate, that were automated, fast, instant. Right, So and that's when we brought out payouts as an offering and we built it in a way that someone who was collecting payments could also do payouts very easily. And then we got a foot in the door, um, you know, and that's how our growth story started. Along the same time, we raised money from Y Combinator in 2017. That also gave us a lot of uh, global exposure, uh, I think. 
right and then that's how the journey was right we kept adding customers gradually and then we kept growing i think uh, that's how it turned out Okay. And you're obviously a co-founder of the company and I think you have one other partner. So how do you split up the management between the two of you? A lot of the, we do walk a bit into each other's role also, but largely I think as of today, I do a bit of the operations. I do marketing, the customer support, a bit of the legal. So these are the functions I'm handling today, uh, uh, some of the new initiatives and hiring. So those are the things I work on as of today. In the past, I've done, you know, things like finance also, done the, a bit of the reconciliation and filed a bit of the taxes, making sure that we are in compliance with the regulations. So those are the things. And I think my co-founder looks after uh, product engineering. Uh, sales, we still split uh, between the two of us. Right? So that's how the roles are distributed, uh, roughly. I always like to ask this question of co-founders, because especially that have been in business for a few years, like you guys have, do you remember the very first employee you hired? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, I think uh, our first employee, so it's actually strange how we define the first employee because we had a couple of people who kind of worked with us part-time and then they joined us later. And then we had our first employee who also found us after a news article online and then he you know like just reached out to us and then he came on board and so and we had a great journey we have had a great journey so all of them are with us even today so it's not a short-term association i think they're just a integral part of the founding team and they've been pretty instrumental in the success right so yeah so i mean i think we clearly remember and we share good memories even even now how the journey has been yeah, that's great. So what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one personal passion and one business-related passion. Personally, I like to spend time uh, traveling and also playing. So when I do get time, I mean, I think at least once a week, we try to play. Mostly, sometimes people from the office as well. So we play football, we play cricket. I enjoy playing football personally more than cricket. Yeah, and I've been traveling around, I think, over the last one year or two. So I think the idea of personal passion is probably to travel a few countries that you always wanted to travel. So that is work in progress. Uh, Business-wise, I think, uh, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about what are the new things uh, in fintech that could happen and how we can make an impact there. So I think I had mentioned banking as a service, right? So that I see as a pretty big opportunity where uh, we can really scale up the speed up rather the access or distribution of banking services in the country. We can enable you know, non-fintechs to become a fintech company and offer banking services very easily. So that is something that I try to spend time internally. And that's some of the progress that we're making. Okay. And when people coming out of college today, I think at least in, with a lot of people that I talk to, the whole payments and fintech market has become a very interesting place to work. I mean, when I got into the industry 15 years ago, sort of just fell into it. It wasn't a, a purposeful or an intentional move into payments, but a lot of people today are they're coming out of college or university and they see this exciting industry of fintech where all this money's being invested and these companies are growing and there's a lot of interest interesting stories. And my question is, when these people are coming out of school and they look at the industry and say, hey, I want to go into the fintech space, what would your advice be to them? You know, as someone who's been in the space for a while, what would you tell them they should do to be successful in their careers? It should be a bit of a first principles thinking in the sense that once you know what they're doing and why they're doing, this is what we tell to some of our new joinees, uh, you know, also at the company, like they should be clear about uh, not just the actual thing that they're doing, like let's say you're doing 
onboarding merchants, right? But they should be clear that why they're onboarding merchants or what is the actual goal. I mean, if you're onboarding merchants, for example, it should be quick, it should be correct. And it should also keep in mind the risk that the company could incur by onboarding the wrong kind of merchant. Right. So the why of the roles, I think, is very important whenever they're doing that. And, and, and that is something people can keep in mind, right? Beyond just the role, how does the role fit in within the broader scheme of things of the company? Why that role is important for the company? Those are things that, you know, people can help. For example, right, like in product, I think it's very important for uh, someone who is in the product function to think about the overall growth of the product and how it adds to the revenue of the company. I think that kind of mindset is something that makes things easier rather than, let's say, just uh, you know doing a bunch of integrations and making sure that the product works. Right. I think if you're thinking holistically about how this product is actually important for the company, how it can grow, how it can generate revenue for the company, I think those are the things I think uh, you know that, that help. I think that's some great advice. Well, Riju, we've covered a lot of ground about the company, about you, about the industry. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Not nothing. I think it was great. I think talking with you, Greg, I had a nice time. I actually, I got a thought, got a, was able to think a bit also about, about all of this. So yeah, it's good. Okay. And one final question. What would be the best way for people to learn more about the company? They can visit www.cashfree.com. Our website has a lot of details about what we do and how we do. And they can always drop us a note also. And we are hiring. So if you're interested, I think there's the careers page as well. And we're definitely hiring across roles. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very valuable. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot, Greg. Pleasure, pleasure. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 